Welcome to Recharting Your Life with Hope. I'm Hope Cook, creator and host. I'm a mom, physician assistant, writer, and life coach. Two years ago, I was feeling stuck, restless, overwhelmed, and I felt like I wasn't where I was supposed to be, but I had no idea what that even meant. And the crazy part is my life had turned out pretty awesome, at least on paper, but I couldn't figure out what was wrong or why I felt out of alignment. A series of books and podcasts and conversations changed my life and revealed my next journey one step at a time. My purpose right now is to help you wake up to your soul's purpose by sharing conversations with amazing women who've walked in your shoes. Keep listening and the answers to your next step will come, I promise. We're all here for a reason, and I'll help you figure out what that is so you don't have to waste another minute sleepwalking through your life. I definitely don't have it all figured out, so I'll also share the ups and downs of my own journey with you. Sometimes I'll ask clients for feedback, so I wanted to read two um two reviews that I got, and maybe this will help give you an idea of whether coaching may be right for you. So the first one is, um, when I met Hope, I was going through a really challenging time in my life. She provided the tools to help me identify and overcome my anxiety and stress. With her help and encouragement, I was able to take back control of my emotions and regain my confidence. The other one says, it was an email, and it says, um, You are so very gifted. Your wisdom, kind words, and direction are are easy to understand. You helped me figure out what my next step is and live in integrity of what is true for me. So if you've been thinking about life coaching, shoot me an email, hope.cook at gmail.com. You'll get a complimentary session where you can see if it's for you or not. It may not be, but if it is, then we can talk about your path going forward. The first time I heard this concept, I think it was Joe Dispenza. If you've never read any of his books, he talks about uh, the placebo effect and the mind-body connection, because what we're talking about is how your thoughts dictate your feelings, your feelings dictate your behavior, your behavior will dictate your actions, and your actions are what make up every day. And the days are what make up your life. So if you want to live a better life, if you find yourself stuck, it sounds so stupid and so simple. But if you look at your thoughts and you start doing what we call thought work, it's going to make a huge difference. Don't turn off the podcast yet. I know this sounds like a really boring talk, but I promise I'll share one of my most embarrassing moments. And um, maybe that'll give you a little joy for your day. Okay, so like I said, we talk about being stuck a lot, and a lot of times that's what clients say when they come to me. They say some iteration of that. They may not use the word stuck, but they may say, I just don't know what's wrong. I, I know I need to look for another job. I know I need to uh, find a different partner. I know I need to whatever in toxic relationships, but they don't know how to do it. So that's what I help them with. Um One of the ways that we keep ourselves stuck involves the past. So our past experiences help us form our current expectations and beliefs. So in our early childhood, we start collecting evidence as a way to keep us safe. You know, we think, okay, well, my mom didn't like this. She got a scary look on her face when I said this potty word, so I'm not going to say it again. 
it's kind of like we each have a giant scrapbook and we can flip through and we can see the photos and the memories to support whatever we're currently um, our actions or our current decisions. Like if you don't trust men, you can flip back through, you can find several examples in your scrapbook of why this is the case. If you don't believe in yourself enough to try and get a better job, you can flip back through this scrapbook. You can find evidence of adults or maybe your peers telling you or showing you that you aren't good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not capable. If you spend money like it's going to disappear or if you treat food like it's going to disappear, I can guarantee you there's a reason back in your scrapbook. But here's the tricky thing. Our minds remember things differently. Our minds like concoct these uh, elaborate replays of how we think things were. And they may not actually be that way. Um, My sister and I were talking about the exact same event a few weeks ago, and we remembered it differently. So in the first grade, we had one of those sales papers, a fundraiser, and my grandma decided she was going to help us sell a lot of stuff. So what I remember is getting dragged all over town in the front seat of my grandma's big car before we had seat belts and all that. And so we had to go to all these houses. Each house involved talking and talking. And I remember thinking, I hate selling stuff. When is this going to end? So that kind of went into my memory scrapbook. So now when I think about selling stuff, like at work, when I have to sell, or I don't have to, but when somebody says like, oh, what products do you offer? I just sort of shut down and I'm like, oh, I don't like sales. Um, My sister remembers being in the school auditorium and being shown the grand prize of this remote control bird that flew up and swooped over the crowd. And she was determined to get that bird. So she recalls, going around selling stuff and killing it and being like excited by the end of the afternoon. And when she went back to school, she had indeed sold the most things. So she got that bird. I have no memory of the bird. I didn't get the bird. I got jelly beans in a little tin container. But anyway, so when we replayed this memory, we saw totally different things. Another example of this is um, the other day I was scrolling through Facebook. I was in one of the groups that has a lot of uh, women in it. And this lady had posted anonymously and she was venting about her husband calling her an ugly name. And she was understandably upset because he, you know, probably shouldn't have called her that. But it had been weeks since this had happened and she was He only did this one time in their whole marriage, which is still bad, but she was reliving this over and over and over. And she's like, and I talked to my parents about it and I talked to my sister and now she was talking to thousands of women about it and sort of reliving it. So each time she thought about it, she was experiencing hurt all over again. And so if you follow some spiritual teachers like Byron Katie, she would probably ask, like, who is doing the hurting now? Like the husband had already hurt her. He'd already called her the name. But now this lady was sort of reliving it over and over. It was her thoughts now that were creating the suffering. So I know this is hard to grasp. And, you know, we obviously can't spend a year going back and questioning each memory and we're not supposed to be living in the past because that's that's not where we're, we are. We're in the present and we'd be missing out on our current lives if we did that. 
But the reason I wanted to cover the past in the first half is so you can open your eyes to why you may be doing things the way you're doing or seeing things the way you see them. But back to the present, how do we, if we know that our memories are kind of skewed and we know that when we replay these thoughts over and over that they can um, cause us pain and suffering and that it's not good or helpful, how do we live our best lives in the moment when things happen, when people say things or things, um, situations happen? How do we like be like thick not Han and let things roll off our back and not get our panties in a wad? How do we not grip onto these unhelpful memories? How do we not interpret things that people say? How do we avoid pain? You can't avoid pain, but we're going to take a look at in the moment when things happen, how we react. Okay, so we can't really be objective because we're the ones that it's happening to. So the definition of that is it's subjective. We're, we're, not, um, we're not watching it happen to our neighbor or our best friend. It's us that it's happening to. If you've ever talked, though, to somebody who's had like a near-death experience, they sometimes say, I thought I saw things in slow motion. It was like my body was sort of, um, I was hovering above my body and watching it happen and things slowed down. So that's what I'm going to try to get you to see in the second half of this podcast. We can slow down. We can sort of watch what's happening to us in the moment and, um, and see if we can change it or if we can at least loosen it. Um, and oh, this is the other interesting thing. Our thoughts about what is happening. Like, so let's say we did have, um, our husband said something really hurtful or we got in a car accident. Our memories of that thing are often way worse than when it actually happened, because we sort of hype it up, we build it up. And as we relive it over and over in our minds, it gets amplified. The other thing we know about painful or uncomfortable emotions or feelings, besides the fact that they're bad and we don't want to feel them, but they only last for 90 seconds. I know that does not seem true. It feels like it can go on for an eternity, but here's what's going on. Research had already shown this, but if you've listened to Jill Bolt, I think it's Bolt Taylor, Bolty Taylor. If you listen to her TED Talk, it's fascinating. And one of the things she says is that it takes no longer than 90 seconds for stress hormones to flood and to clear your system. So let's say you feel rage. Like maybe you had a new patient with hair loss who was 30 minutes late and then demanded to be seen. Um, maybe adrenaline rushes through your body, but it will only last 90 seconds and then it's gone. So why does it keep going? If it only lasts 90 seconds, why 10 minutes later are you still feeling a little bit of rage? I'll use this example to illustrate. So last summer when we went rafting in Oregon, I told y'all about when we stopped to jump off a cliff and every single person did it, except I was up there still trying to build up the courage and this little six-year-old. The fall itself would have only lasted a few seconds, but I stayed up there debating the jump and scaring myself silly for at least 10 minutes. 
my brain was convinced I was going to die. Um, and it wanted to keep me safe. And so I, I did have that 90 seconds of adrenaline. I have no doubt about that. And so I would get freakishly scared. And then I would feel myself start to relax a little bit. And I would think, I can do this. I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump. And I'd walk over to the edge. And then it would start that cycle all over again. My brain would say, are you kidding? You're going to die. And I could feel my cortisol start pumping again. So it was like my, it's called a thought loop. So I would make that surge happen again and again. So yeah, it only lasted 90 seconds, but I was like restarting that, um, cycle over and over. If you've ever been in front of a crowd to give a speech and you have performance anxiety, 90 seconds can feel like an eternity. I mean, your body thinks that your your brain thinks you're going to get murdered up there, that these people in the crowd are going to mob murder you. If you keep standing up there, yes, the 90 seconds will pass. That adrenaline will start going down, but you're still not going to be okay because your brain is going to start churning out unhelpful thoughts like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm standing up here. Who do I think I am? And it starts that loop all over again. So if we know the feeling only lasts 90 seconds before we before it passes, why do we spend so much time and energy avoiding the painful feelings and We spend years after the uncomfortable sensation reliving it over and over in our minds. And this is what often keeps us stuck, people. It's like we have a prison in our minds and we're determined to keep ourselves imprisoned there for life. And maybe you're thinking, but Hope, I did have this awful thing happen. Like I lost a loved one or my heart was crushed or I was abused. So here's what we know. Hitting rewind and replay on the movie screen of your mind will cause that pain over and over and over. If we let it happen, it's like we're the ones holding the remote. We're hitting rewind. Whatever it is, is not still happening to us, but our brains think it is. And in fact, like I said earlier, studies show that our body's reaction, the subsequent times that we remember this thing, can be far more extreme than the original event because our memories hype it up to epic proportions. Okay, maybe at this point you're like, all right, yes, 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 I do. Maybe I'm the one holding the remote. I'm hitting rewind, but what do I do about it? How do you stop reliving that painful memory over and over? How do you stop replaying bad things that happened or something that somebody said? Can you just hit delete? Can you delete that memory? You cannot. I don't think. I mean, I haven't figured that out. But you can do something to help. And this is the first time I um, read Michael Singer's book, Untethered Soul, I was blown away because he uses this very simple analogy. I alluded to it earlier with the movie theater. So he says, okay, imagine you're in a, a fancy movie theater. It's a new type of movie theater. It's totally immersive. You're sitting there and you can not only see the movie, you can taste it, you can smell it, you can feel like vibrations as they happen. You can also hear the main character's thoughts. And so each of us has two, two parts to ourselves. 
one who is sitting there observing all this. And some people call that the inner self or the soul. Other people call it the um, like your inner wise person. And then the other part of our, us is the one in the movie, the one living through all this stuff. So my embarrassing example was when I was 10, I was in, um, we had to go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And this was Wednesday night, GAs, Girls in Action. And I strongly disliked it because we would just sit there and learn about missionaries and pray and maybe make a little craft or something, but I did not like it. So I would sort of misbehave and get silly and you know, try to get attention. So anyway, I was sitting there, we were praying at the end and I was sitting on cross-legged on my legs and we were all in a circle. There were about probably 10 or 12 of us and there were two teachers and I started laughing, laughing so hard during the prayer that I pooted, not just one little poot, a whole string of poots. And, you know, once you start laughing and farting, you can't stop, or (laughs) at least that was the case. (laughs) So anyway, needless to say, the teacher could not go on with the prayer, and all the little girls in the class were laughing, and I mean, this is age 10, old enough to be highly embarrassed. So... I begged my mom to not make me go back. She did let me skip for a few weeks. And I convinced myself that everybody at school knew what had happened, including the boys. And I begged her to let me change schools. Um, And so every time I would remember farting during the prayer, I would feel this wave of shame and embarrassment. I was so mortified. I did not think this was funny at all. It took years <laughs> before I could laugh about it. So anyway, how can you switch from being in the movie, the one who's reliving the farting during the prayer scene, to becoming the watcher? I mean, this is hard to do, especially if it's a really embarrassing thing like that. Or a real, I mean, I'm making light of this, but if it's something really painful, like you know, you were physically hurt or abused or something. The goal is to become the observer, to watch those thoughts, to watch the sort of movie going on in your head. And like I said earlier, the reason to do this, the reason it's so important to watch that movie screen and switch to the role of the observer is because you are literally letting your thoughts run your life. You're letting your thoughts determine your behavior, I mean, your feelings. So your thoughts determine what you feel. Your feelings determine how you behave. Your behavior is your actions, and your actions are what make up your entire life. So if you don't want to waste your life being stuck in these sucky feelings, I'm going to share a few tools with you. Number one. This one sounds really stupid, and when I tell clients about it at first, they're probably rolling their eyes, but you just say to yourself, I'm having the thought that, and in this case, it could be I passed gas in Sunday school, or I'm having the thought that uh, I got scolded at work, or I'm having the thought that um, I'm a terrible mother, and you say this three times, just say it out loud if you can. 
And then you say, I notice I'm having the thought that, and you repeat it. So I notice I'm having the thought that I'm a bad mother. And you say that three times. And what this does, it sort of is subtle, but it sort of loosens that thought. And this is part of ACT therapy. Okay, number two, is this thought real? So how, and you may say, yes, it's real. I really did pass gas in Sunday school, or my boss really did scold me. Okay. But how do I react when I believe this thought? When I think this thought over and over, is it helpful? Do I feel good in my body when I think this thought over and over? Can I let it go? And if I I were able to let this thought go, how would my life be different? Number three, name and categorize these thoughts. I mean, one of my big ones that I'll catch myself in is imagined conversation. So I will weave this whole... um, scene in my mind where I'm saying something, somebody else is saying something, and then I catch myself. It's like you blink and I'll say to myself, uh, imagined conversation. And that's the end of it. It's just I had to notice that I was like daydreaming about this imagined conversation and then it's over. Another one may be um, future disaster scenarios. And you can just sort of like you have a file cabinet, you can imagine um, filing away this imagined thought scene under uh, future disaster scenarios or whatever. Number four, remember you get to decide what plays on your movie screen. So when you remember moments of gratitude, this sends in the good feelings. So you get to decide what kind of movie you're watching. Are you going to replay all those hurtful thoughts or do you want to remember something magical that happened? Um, when I was doing neurofeedback, the lady um, who does this, Pam, she taught me to pick up memory that I love. So I picked a memory of when I was rocking my son when he was about nine months old. She told me to imagine all the parts of the memory, the light in the room, the feel of my son's weight on my chest, um, how his onesie felt against my hands, to smell his baby smell. And she said that immersing yourself in a pleasant memory not only produces feel-good brain waves. It puts you in parasympathetic mode, which is the relax mode. Um, And these memories can even produce better juju, better feelings than the initial memory. Because when I was sitting there rocking him, I was probably like, yeah, this is nice. But, you know, I wasn't experiencing bliss. But when I sit there and remember it, it produces even better sensations than the original. Okay, number five, ask yourself what it is costing you to relive that painful memory or to hold on to those bad thoughts. So what is it costing you? I mean, really think about this. Last night, my husband made a comment about, (laughs) we got this email about our kids' uh, physical activity. It's like some government thing where they assess your kids in PE once a year. They take their height, their weight. They uh, do sit-ups and push-ups. I remember this going on when I was a kid, and I was kind of puny, so I didn't do very many push-ups or sit-ups. So we were looking at our kids' um, health, whatever, and my son only did, it said he only did 10 laps around the gym. We later found out that fellow students were the ones recording it, and he said he actually did like 35, 
But anyway, this led to a whole conversation where my son's like, I just, I mean, my husband's like, I just want to set him up for success. You know, we really need to encourage um, him to eat healthier. You know, he eats like carbs all day. And I took this thought or I took this um, comment that he made and immediately the thought in my head was, he's saying I'm a bad mother. And this just totally got out of control. I looked for evidence from the past. I flipped through my mental scrapbook um, and memories flooded me of, you know, other times when I thought I was a bad mother or other comments that were said um, as I got angry Um, I also started looking for evidence that he was wrong and I was right. My body became rigid. My breathing became shallow. I did feel that surge of stress hormones. Um, And I just kept thinking this thought, he thinks I'm a bad mother. He thinks I'm a bad mother. So I got angry, hurt, sad, defensive. Even this morning, I was still thinking about it as Ollie ate her pancakes and Eli toasted his bagel. And I was replaying the memory. And um, yeah, so I have to ask myself, like, how do I react when I relive that memory? Well, I was pissy. I was not working as a team. I was defensive. And I asked myself, is it a helpful thought? Is it helpful to hold on to that thought? No. Okay, number six. What benefit am I keeping or getting from holding on to those bad reruns? Are This is a hard one, y'all, but you have to look at this. Are they allowing you to remain a victim or do they give you an excuse to stay stuck? In the case of my husband making that comment, um, what benefit did I get? All right, this was hard to examine, but honestly, I got to be mad and hurt instead of asking if there was any truth to his comment. Instead of being curious about what he meant or what his ideas were, I was able to stay stuck and mad. All right, number seven, look at the clock. Jill Bolt-Taylor says 90 seconds later, the body will be done experiencing that rush of adrenaline. So sometimes if you even look at your clock or your watch. It's enough to sort of jolt you into the observer mind. And lastly, breath work. If you have no other tool with you, it is your breath is always with you. And if you can take three slow, deep breaths, I promise it will be like resetting you, rebooting you. It really will. Just sit there and count, count your breaths, three deep breaths. Okay, that's it. If you practice this noticing, this movie theater noticing, you'll start to realize your thoughts are not real. It is the craziest thing that we allow our entire lives to be ruled by our thoughts. But if you can stop this cycle of your thoughts creating your feelings, which create your behavior, which create the action in your life, It will help you get unstuck. If you need help with this and you're like, yeah, that sounds good, but how do I actually do it? Reach out. Y'all can email me, hope.cook at gmail.com. Thank y'all for listening. It was so much fun talking to you today. All right. If you are ready to make some major changes in your life, if you're at the point where you are sick and tired of feeling stuck and directionless and you really don't know what to do next or where to go, maybe it's time we had a little chat. 
So I have it set up on my website. You can schedule a free 30-minute discovery call and we'll sit down and decide if we're a good fit. Maybe you'd prefer group coaching. Maybe you need one-on-one coaching or maybe you just want to talk and and say hello. So go on over to my website. It's coachhopecook.com. That's H-O-P-E-C-O-O-K.com and schedule the free discovery call. And I can't wait to talk to you. So See you next week, and hopefully I'll talk to some of you before that.